Welcome to episode seven of the Magic Hour. My name is Andrew and I'm the head of research and development at Magic Valley. And I'm joined today by my co-host, Paul Bevan, the CEO and founder of Magic Valley. And we have a special guest, Vijay Kumar, who's a, the senior, we have, a, and we have a special guest, Vijay Kumar, Dr. Vijay Kumar, who is a senior bioprocess engineer at Magic Valley. So uh, Vijay, I've introduced you as a bioprocess engineer, but do you want to tell us what a bioprocess engineer is? Yeah, sure. So um, bioprocess engineering is very similar to sort of chemical engineering, um, but uh, yeah, it's just trying to uh, produce a biological product uh, through uh, a process that involves various stages. So typically there's a upstream stage and then there's a downstream stage um, and we have a, a whole host of different uh, pieces of equipment that uh, enable us to, um, for instance, in, in our case, uh, grow our cells of interest and then um, harvest our cells and uh, use them for our final product. Um, so bioprocess engineer is involved in pretty much every aspect of uh, this process, uh, to put it in very simple terms. Um, and the, the process itself involves uh, initially uh, growing the cells. Um, well, for us, after we reprogram our cells, because we're using iPSCs, um, we then um, do what is called scale up. So we scale up our uh, product from very small quantities to large quantities um, and uh, we use um, conventional cell culture processes um, initially and then we scale up into bigger tanks uh, which we call bioreactors uh, typically uh, with a lot more control uh, in the process and so us bioprocess engineers are heavily involved in uh, the engineering aspects of these bits of equipment um, and optimization, um, optimizing uh, yields, growth of uh, these particular cell types, um, and then ultimately the harvest stages. So that would be mm. the downstream processing aspects as well, uh, whether it be through um, centrifugation, uh, cell separation, clarification, uh, there are different bits of uh, equipment involved in those processes, which uh, we also work with uh, to finally, you know, produce our uh, end product. Fantastic, BJ. Thank you. I think we'll, we'll dig into a little bit of that in, in more detail, but um, I'm guessing uh, you make that sound pretty easy. So you got your qualifications off the back of a, a complex packet, is that right? Or, or maybe you want to tell us a little bit your um, study journey to get to where you're at at Magic Valley now. What, what, what did you study? Yeah, I wish it was that easy. But uh, so I started off my career uh, at, at undergraduate level, at least uh, doing biomedical engineering. Uh, so I did uh, subjects, a whole host of subjects from electronics, computer systems, uh, all the way to biomedical sciences. Um, so that's where I began. So I got my initial qualifications in, as a biomedical engineer. And then from there, I progressed to uh, doing honors naturally. Um, that's how we progress, at least here in Australia, um, uh, to do, um, it's almost like a first year of a PhD where I did research, predominantly research uh, based work. Um, 
uh, in the Department of Anatomy and Developmental Biology, so a bit more biology focused, but with stem cells and bioreactors. Uh, so I did a lot of... Um, not at all relevant for magic. Oh, yeah, of course not. <laughs> uh, the only thing that I was missing there was probably iPSCs. <laughs> uh, so I was working predominantly on adult stem cells. So uh, during the early stages of my career, I, I worked a lot with um, regenerative medicine applications. Uh, so using stem cells for various um, gene therapies, cell and gene therapies. Um, so from there, um, I moved to the UK uh, in uh, UCL, uh, University College of London, to uh, pursue my PhD. Actually, I don't think you said where you were. Where did you start? What was that university? Oh, right. Uh, so Swinburne, University uh -huh. of Technology right here in Melbourne. Um, and then uh, immediately after, well, during the course of that, uh, uh, the engineering degree, I had to do um, a work placement as well in the final year, uh, which I did at CSIRO. Uh -huh. um, so there I worked, at what, that was sort of my initial exposure to the large-scale uh, stirred tank bioreactors. So I worked with the 150-liter uh, stirred tank bioreactors so for a different application. So we were looking at uh, uh, protein production, recombinant protein production, mm -hmm. basically. Um, we had other, I had a look at other facilities where we were doing fermentation work, um, all, all, you know, in the scope of bioprocess engineering, but, uh, uh, yeah, not, not so much with, uh, uh, with the human or the, um, the cells being the final product. Um, so yeah, so that was very early on, um, Swinburne, CSIRO, and then I moved over to Monash University, uh, to do my honors, uh, like I mentioned. Uh, yeah, and then from there I went to uh, London to to do my PhD. Uh, again, in a yeah, uh, in the field I'm currently working in, yeah. um, biochemical engineering slash bioprocess engineering. Um, so there I was actually working with iPSCs, induced pluripotent stem cells, um, human induced pluripotent stem cells. So there um, I, I was basically doing uh, what I'm doing here, but at a smaller scale, a rel a relatively smaller scale. Um, so starting off with a microfluidic device um, where we would uh, reprogram uh, human fibroblasts. So we take uh, samples, uh, just biopsies from patients and reprogram them to uh, induce a pluripotent state um, using microfluidic devices. And then on those microfluidic devices, we then uh, scale up and scale out. Uh, mm -hmm. So my project was uh, predominantly looking at um, optimizing the uh, expansion stage, basically, how can we scale up the reprogrammed cells uh, to the point where we can uh, then use them to treat patients, basically. Um, so there's an expansion stage, and then uh, there's also, because we're using iPSCs or stem cell-like cells, um, we need to differentiate the cells uh, to, you know, whatever uh, cell type of interest uh, that we're looking at for a particular uh, cell gene therapy in this case, um, but in our case now, you know, uh, muscle, fat, um, whatever uh, tissue we need um, for, our, for our applications here at uh, Magic Valley. Um, but yeah, uh, during my PhD, I worked predominantly on the scale-up process, optimizing the parameters for scale-up, um, doing a lot of CFD modeling work, and uh, CFD. A CFD, okay. So a CFD stands for Computational Fluid Dynamics. Yeah. Uh, so it's a software-based uh, um, tool that allows us to virtually 
uh, simulate conditions uh, that we see in, say, a bioreactor, mm -hmm. uh, for instance. And that helps us to then define uh, certain criteria uh, or parameters of interest that we can then um, look at virtually and import various uh, parameters or boundary conditions, as they call them, uh, in the world of CFD. And then from there, we can um, predict uh, how how well the system scales up, basically, um, at least uh, on the small scale that I was relatively small scale I was working on during my PhD. Um, but now, yeah, we've got uh, a much bigger uh, task at hand. Absolutely. <laughs> And I understand while you were doing your PhD in, at University College London that uh, some companies showed some interest in you. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, during, I think it was my second or maybe third year, um, uh, there was a company that I worked with, uh, a startup. So I've worked with a number of startups. So the first startup I worked with uh, was a company back then, at least they were formerly called Hack Science. Uh, a company that was looking to automate a lot of uh, cell culture processes because uh, the process of uh, culturing or growing up these cells is uh, quite a laborious one uh, at present, um, just in the lab at a bench sort of scale uh, until you get them into bioreactors. Um, so uh, this company was looking at trying to automate these processes, for instance, just uh, adding uh, media feeds, so the nutrients needed for the cells uh, to proliferate or grow, um, and uh, um, just automating uh, all the fluidics and all the uh, things that, you know, a human would typically do. Mm. Um, so that was my first exposure to uh, sort of a startup environment. So those guys uh, showed interest and I showed interest as well. Um, it was very much in line with uh, sort of what I was doing as well at the time. And so uh, that, that uh, was, yeah, probably second, third year uh, of my PhD. Uh, and then sort of towards the end of my PhD, uh, I had another company uh, that, uh, well, this was almost or immediately after I finished my lab component mm -hmm. uh, of my PhD. So it was quite uh, convenient that uh, I could transition into a, a, a role sort of as a microfluidic uh, uh, engineer. Um, so again, very much related to bioprocess engineering, um, but uh, on a smaller scale. Now, um, so so this was a company again in London, uh, in the UK, um, and uh, uh, so th that was Microfluidic X. So these guys were doing pretty much exactly what I was doing during my huh. PhD, but with CAR T therapies uh, rather than um, induced pluripotent stem cell therapies. Um, so again, looking at uh, a lot of CFD work and scale up uh, process optimization and fabrication of uh, various microfluidic devices uh, to scale up and scale out basically. Um, so yeah, that was my second sort of uh, major exposure to uh, the startup environment and uh, um, the, the next step in my career uh, when I was, so that was basically working full time uh, at that point. For, for a company, I think my first professional full-time role yeah. um, immediately after my PhD. And then after that, um, I got into the cultivated meat industry. <laughs> but um, one, of the, one of the quite early bioprocess engineers, I would have thought in, in the UK anyway, 
I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, like, I'm putting words in your mouth. Yeah, no, no, I, I think that's that's pretty accurate because uh, uh, it, it was quite early days then. Um, so it was probably uh, 20, 2019, 20, yeah, 2020, thereabouts, um, just, just after the pandemic uh, hit. Um, so that was at a company called Ivy Farm. Uh, so they were yeah super excited <laughs> to have uh, you know uh, another bioprocess uh, engineer on board because um, yeah it, at that stage uh, people were really looking for bioprocess engineers to come on board. So a lot of the uh, biology associated with uh, uh, cultivated meat and uh, the um, the formulations and all that. Uh, uh, stuff to get prototypes uh, were almost, you know, in place. And, and so uh, people needed a way to efficiently scale up mm-hmm. uh, their work. And so uh, that's when I think, especially in the UK, like uh, they were, I think, one of two um, cultivated meat companies. Um, so, uh, yeah, they were in a race to try and get stuff, uh, uh, you know, uh, onto shelves, basically. Um so yeah, that, that's when um, I, I started with Ivy Farm just after my uh, uh, first role uh, post PhD. So um, yeah, so there I was, uh, well, technically the design engineer, but yeah, a lot of the work I did was, uh, you know, by process related. Um, so uh, a, a lot of the work again was related to bioreactors, um, acquiring uh, pieces of equipment, building custom bioreactors uh, for, uh, you know, the cultivated meat industry because the, the needs uh, are quite specific. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, everything to do with uh, optimizing those bioreactors uh, for the, the efficient growth of uh, whatever the meat cells they were working with at the time. Great. And I mean, it's, it's such such relevant experience, but uh, you have even more relevant experience before we came into contact with each other. So you, from from the UK, I understand you went to Silicon Valley, is that right? Yeah, exactly right. So uh, yeah, after the UK, I then traveled to uh, the States uh, in Silicon Valley, uh, where I worked for a company uh, called now Sci-Fi Foods. Um, so there, again, I did pretty much the same thing, <laughs> same role, um, looking to uh, work on their bioreactors, optimizing uh, the process, a lot of uh, PD or process development work um, that was involved in uh, the sort of scale up and scale out um, of the products. Um, so yeah, very much uh, uh, heavily involved in uh, yeah, the, the sort of optimization and scale up uh, aspects at, at both companies and uh, uh, yeah was exposed to a lot of the sort of challenges and uh, uh, things that uh, you know uh, were specific to the cultivated meat industry that uh, needed to be addressed um, from an engineering perspective uh, which was really good fantastic and um so I first heard of you from a, a, a good friend and ex-colleague of mine, um, Professor David Haylock, and he said, uh, Andrew, I've got this guy, um, he's looking to come back to Melbourne and he might have some experience that's relevant for you. Um, do, you do you want to talk about why or and how you ended up back in Melbourne at, at Magic Valley? Yeah, sure. So uh, I grew up in Melbourne, so uh, uh, in the southeast suburbs. 
Um, since I was one, I've lived I've lived there, um, and so I always intended on coming back uh, to Melbourne at some point. Um, hopefully to settle down. Um, so when I was in America, uh, we ended up having our second uh, child. Uh, so naturally, we thought, you know, it might be a good time to come back and uh, you know. Uh, potentially settle down so um, that's when we thought yeah let's let's try and uh, uh, find a place you know that that's good for us and uh, I knew yeah, I knew a few people around Melbourne professors and the likes um, from my past experience in Melbourne uh, all my studies and all that kind of stuff so uh, yeah I, I reached out to a few of uh, uh, my past professors and people I knew um, and yeah everybody seemed to just point me in one direction <laughs> which was magic valley so um naturally you know um i was i was super excited and we, we didn't pay vj to say that <laughs> Never. Um, but uh yeah i mean just working in the cultivated meat industry um seeing that you know my family wanted to you know settle somewhere and you know melbourne is where i grew up and like you guys were i think at the right stage where you know, starting to ramp up things. So it was just a natural, natural choice, I think. Oh, we're very, very happy. I don't know, I won't put words in Paul's mouth, but I'm, we're very happy to have you have you on board. Yeah, no, absolutely. I've got a, about a million questions, actually. Great. <laughs> um, no, Vijay, I was going to ask um, if you were always going to, to be an engineer or a bioprocess engineer or, like, what, what attracted you to, you know, that... that course I guess and you know were there other options that you were considering yeah that's a good question because there were a lot of things I was considering at the time uh, so one of them was medicine um, another was uh, nothing related to sort of uh, academia because <laughs> I, I had a very keen interest in uh, cricket oh yeah um, hmm. when I was since I was very young, since I was like nine. Uh, so I was always interested in playing cricket. Uh, and uh, uh, not that, you know, I wouldn't do anything else besides that, but uh, I would try and pursue that if I could yep. and do whatever else on the side. <laughs> batsman, bowler, keeper? Oh, a bit of both, but I was uh, gunning for a batsman. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed cricket. I played it uh, all throughout uh my young ages through secondary um, and uh, a bit throughout university as well. But, uh, yeah, it did, didn't quite uh, happen. But, uh, yeah, uh, engineering was also one of my like, top preferences. Yeah. Because um, uh, I think, yeah, I, I come from a line of engineers and okay. doctors. <laughs> uh, so my dad's an engineer and uh, his dad, uh, yeah, was a physician. And, uh, yeah, so... One of those I, I thought would suit me. Um, and uh, I, I particularly liked engineering. Um, I always liked tinkering and doing things with my hands. And I was very curious about uh, how things worked. So uh, for me, I thought, yeah, all right. engineering is just the natural choice. Um, and science as well. I was interested in science, um, the, the sort of origins of life and uh, uh, ke chemical um sort of uh, processes I was interested in. Um, so, yeah, I thought chemistry, um, science, engineering, 
all of those things, uh, chemistry, science, and mathematics, because I was very interested in what interested and quite good at mm. mathematics. Um, so I thought the combination of those things, you know, um, physics, maths, just culminate perfectly in, in an engineering degree, because that's basically what it is, you know, um, applying sciences and physics. So uh, engineering then was just definitely a top preference for me yeah 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 great yeah. i mean we've spoken previously about setting up the uh, magic valley basketball team we might need to get an indoor cricket team going but absolutely as, as, as well um j- just on that um vj in terms of you know applying um you know your your learnings when did you i guess get interested or or was there an, an aspect of um you know, medicine or, or applying, you know, your, your scientific skills that, you know, you really wanted to get into. I know you mentioned you worked, you know, initially in like human cells. Was there something that, you know, was really motivating to you with it, like within that area? And then I guess the follow-up question to that is, you know, sort of when did you get interested in the cultivated meat space? Did, did, did cellular agriculture kind of find you and now you've like pursued that, as you mentioned before, like through through various countries and, and companies or was it something that, that you found and thought, oh, wow, this could be, you know, what I'm doing could be applied over in, in this space? Uh, so um, initially, like I just wanted to do something to try and uh, improve human health, mm. uh, try and help, uh, you know, fellow mankind, that kind of stuff. Uh, that was predominantly what I was uh, interested in. Um, so I thought medicine is just a natural option, but then given my uh, tendencies, you know, to uh, work, you know, like working with my hands and that kind of stuff, I thought engineering could also be a good avenue for that. Um, and, uh, you know, um, there was bioengineering, there was biomedical engineering, um, so all of which, you know, uh, are avenues in which I could uh, use to, um help with you know human health um because sure there's doctors out there and uh, nurses and all that but um they all have bits of equipment that they use on a day-to-day basis so biomedical engineering uh was something i'd levitated to naturally um because uh without that equipment you know modern medicine would uh, wouldn't exist Mm -hmm. basically so I thought uh, if I could uh, make some advancements uh, potentially in in that area or, uh, uh, you know, contribute in, in some way uh, to that uh, field, uh, I, I could do so with my engineering expertise, I yeah. thought. Um, but, yeah, similarly with uh, regenerative medicine, cell and gene therapy, um, you know, um, they always need engineers as well. So uh, with bioreactors and uh, the like. Um, so that was sort of uh, what I was more interested in later on uh, when I saw the potential of stem cells. Um, So that's what I really got interested into that. Um, But when it came to cultivated meat, again, so I always had this uh, urge to, you know, uh, help improve human health, uh, help mankind. So I guess, um, like I said, it's not something that I consciously went after that if I knew about it, maybe I would have. Um, I didn't. I didn't really know too much about it at the time. Uh, I knew about plant-based meats and all that kind of stuff, um, I, and I thought, yeah, it's a good alternative, but it's not the real deal, right? So I thought, um, I get. Yeah, I was just going to focus on my thing, you know. Um, but then I had people reach out to me, and then I saw more. Uh, sort of news articles and uh, got a lot more information about the cultivated meat industry and uh, you know 
the potential to help uh, humans and uh, you know provide uh, nutritious nutrition basically worldwide uh, in an efficient way uh, was astounding. The potential for cultivated meat, right? Um, so I thought, hey, th- this is you know on a par with you know helping someone uh, in a hospital mm-hmm. or uh, you know. Um, so I thought, yeah, why not give this a try because. Uh, the challenge for cultivated meat is, I think, folds greater than, you know, uh, potentially for uh, regenerative medicine uh, purposes, um, given the scale that we need to achieve to be able to make a, a significant impact. So I thought, yeah, I love a good challenge. So hmm. why, why not uh, give it a try? And I uh, really enjoyed it. So, yeah, I'm glad I did. Sounds like you're in the perfect role, it's just just with your ambitions and the you know the potential for impact and the willingness to take on challenges. I know we throw a million challenges at you for a whole lot of different things. So, um, yeah, look, that that that's amazing. Yeah, and now look, I mean, I, I don't know everyone, but um, you know, I'd say you're probably one of the most experienced you know uh, bioprocess engineers in the entire industry throughout the world. Yeah, mm. just with that breadth of experience you're right yeah. yeah yeah it's hard to find people out there you know with that specific skill set uh with that experience absolutely yeah because yeah. it, it is early days and uh, uh to have that uh skill set you know uh straight up straight after your like uh research or whatever then yeah it's it's very very impactful yeah totally yeah absolutely we're very lucky to have you vj happy to be so BJ, look, let you talked a bit at the beginning about um, about what um, bioprocess engineering is, um, what the scaling up, etc. Could you give us a few more definitions? What what's the difference between scale up and scale out? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, maybe just explain a little bit more in in detail. Well, I think it's pretty obvious why scaling up is super important for for cultivated meat production because more product means more people can eat. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it, doing things at small scale and large scale, is it greatly different? Um, I, I think I've asked you three questions there. I'll probably stop and let you answer. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's very, very relevant. So uh, it's sort of scale up and scale out. Um, scale up is when you uh, basically take a system and uh, uh, replicate the system at larger scales. So basically geometrically scaling up that system uh, so you, you can achieve greater volumes, get greater biomasses and great uh, product yields ultimately. Um, now scaling out would be when you get to a certain stage and uh, uh, you for whatever reason can't scale up further um, uh, and then decide to scale out uh, which basically just means uh, taking that one system and making multiple um, same uh, versions of the same system uh, to then um, produce more biomass but in a modular sort of fashion Uh, so that that those that would be the key difference i'd say between scale up and scale out okay so if I was to put it in my words, it would be you could scale up a restaurant and have a, a, a thousand people that you feed in your huge restaurant or you could have 10 restaurants that feed 100 people yeah. that are all exactly the same. That, that, that's basically what you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in a nutshell, yeah. Um, so when it comes to uh, 
did you mention the challenges? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and whether or not how similar are the processes at small scale versus large scale? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, in in some cases they can be vastly different. Uh, just the pressure differentials. Like if you're t talking about a stirred tank, like a tubular uh, vessel, um, just the the pressure differences, um, the the environment in, in which uh, the cells are in. In a small scale versus a large scale can be uh, vastly different. Um, the 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 one key factor that uh, we look at um, is uh, shear stress. So the the environment which the cells grow in um, uh, is a mixed system. So we have continuous mixing. So if we're talking about uh, cells that are growing in suspension, that is cells that are uh, not. You know, sticking to a particular substrate or surface to proliferate or grow, um, and they're just freely floating around in the media or medium. Um, then they're gonna experience some level of uh, stress yep. uh, or, or shear stress, as we as we say, um, as a result of the mixing. Because we need to make sure that in whatever system we uh, put the cells in, uh, they uh, have sufficient nutrients and uh, uh, growth factors uh, etc um, to you know aid their growth uh, basically so in in order to enable us to do that um, we have uh, uh, what we call stirred tank bioreactors um, can, can i just jump in there so just for those people listening that are thinking what the hell is a stirred tank bioreactor the way i think about it it's like a big cylinder a big tank like almost like a, a swimming pool or a, a brewery tank but it has like an upside it has a pole that comes down from the top with like an airplane propeller yeah. at the bottom that mixes the cells around is that is that yeah that's kind of right that's a really good way to describe it actually yeah yeah so you can actually visualize you know uh what's going on there so you've got this impeller uh basically uh sort of towards the base of this tank um and as that rotates, uh, you obviously get mixing of the fluid. Um, and so that provides the cells with a homogeneous uh, microenvironment yep. uh, to grow in, which is what uh, they want. Um, so all the nutrients within the media is being evenly distributed. So that's what we're trying to go for, get an even distribution of uh, all the uh, critical um, components in the media. Um, so when that happens, the, the cells are going to experience a level of stress, uh, shear stress, as we say. Um, and uh, as we scale up uh, from a small scale to a large scale, uh, that shear stress uh, increases uh, quite significantly. Uh, so that's one of the key criteria that we look at when uh, we're scaling up. Uh, to larger scales, um, and there there are a bunch of other uh, parameters as well that we look at. Um, cells need uh, uh, to respire, so they need oxygenation. Uh, so we look at uh, uh, dissolved oxygen content. So uh, within this tank, we have one central hole, usually um, like you described with an impeller, but we have several holes uh, around the perimeter as well of the top or the head plate, as we like to call it, uh, which uh, we can insert probes into so we have uh, various probes which we insert into the into the fluid um, like dissolve oxygen so they're basically just sensors that help us uh, give us indications of what the oxygen levels are within the uh, medium yep. uh, that the cells experience so like i said um, oxygen is a 
in one of the key parameters. So if they're not getting enough oxygen or uh, they're not uh, uh, expelling enough of the carbon dioxide, which they produce this waste product, it's all toxic to the cells. So, yeah. so maintaining that environment is very critical. So we use other parameters like OTR, so oxygen transfer rate mm -hmm. uh, is what that is. Um, and we use the coefficient, uh, so KLA is another value that we use uh, to, uh, to help us predict uh, scalability as well, um, to see how well can the cells uh, be oxygenated basically at a small scale versus a larger scale. Um, and there are, there are a bunch of other parameters as well, like mixing time and uh, um, yeah, uh, other parameters that, that aren't as important. But uh, another key one is uh, power to, uh, so the PV value, uh, we call it power to volume ratio. Okay. So how much power goes into the impeller uh, for mixing, basically. Uh, and uh, we can use this uh, as another method to scale up uh, our processes. So can it, basically fixing a certain parameter and seeing if we can keep it consistent over, a, uh, you know, from a small to a large scale um, uh, to be able to replicate or um, uh, mimic what's going on in a small scale um, in an optimal, optimal environment versus a larger scale. So basically it takes a, a lot of measurement, a lot of, a lot of careful understanding, um, changing things in, in small stages to some extent and, and mm -hmm. making sure it's, that things aren't heading off in, in the wrong direction by being able to monitor what, what's going on in, in the, inside the, the bioreactor. Yeah. And I, I, I'm thinking about sheer stress and the way, way to explain it, but um, as the propellant, as, the, as you're growing more cells, you need to mix a larger volume so you need you need to push it harder yeah. and it potentially um spins faster which creates more stress on the cells or more sheer stress yeah. which and because there's more cells in there they're worth more money so there's a there's a lot more stress on the engineers and the ceo at that point as well i'm guessing yeah <laughs> yeah exactly right so that's that's another good way to describe it just more more mixing power needed you know hence why the power to volume ratio comes into play and another one is tip speed so the the speed of the it's just a uh, rough indication of the shear rate so when we scale up um the tip speeds are going to be higher because we there's a greater demand like you said on mixing so that's another um, parameter that uh, we uh, tend to so the longer the propeller or impeller the the, the faster the tip speed is going to be exactly right. yeah yeah so all, all uh, factors that we need to consider. It's also cell dependent, like whether the cells are growing in aggregates or single cells. Um, the longer impellers, we'll probably need longer impellers for uh, larger aggregates. Um, and yeah, uh, it really depends on cell type, um, the, uh, the media we're using uh, in some instances, um, viscosity, that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of factors, like you said, <laughs> that come into play. A lot, a lot yeah. to measure, definitely. Yeah. Um, and like some of the scales that, that are being talked about within the industry simply haven't been done before. So a lot's based on modelling, and you, you've talked a little bit about CFD or computational fluid dynamics modelling. Yeah. Um, uh, 
it, so how important are models and, and is that the sort of thing that, that you rely on and you, you use as well? You stole my question, Andrew, and that was going to be my question. <laughs> yeah, so with CFD, uh, I think at a certain scale, it's, it's quite crucial, um, particularly uh, during the prototyping stage. Um, CFD can be a very powerful tool. Uh, CFD helps us to not only um, predict scalability, but also optimize uh, process parameters at a certain scale. Um, so we can input certain variables uh, like rates of consumption of a particular nutrient, um, uh, production rates of uh, waste byproducts, and uh, we can model all these uh, using CFD software. Uh, we can also uh, estimate shear uh, stress as well um, using um, CFD softwares. Um, so I think, yeah, quite critical, um, particularly at a at a sort of early prototype stages um, when you want to build a bioreactor uh, that is amenable to uh, efficient cell growth of a particular type. Um, but at the same time, that needs to be uh, complemented with uh, practical work, experimental um, results that uh, uh, sort of... Um, Back up what uh, the CFD uh, results are showing, or rather, real world way around. Yeah. testing of the <laughs> real model. world testing, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, the, yeah, ideally, it would be um, test something and then uh, develop a model using CFD uh, around the practical results uh, to try and see if you can um, virtually uh, simulate what you're seeing, uh, you know, in your in your lab. Um, and then once we have that uh, sort of prototype in place, then uh, we can use that to then uh, virtually scale up. So in the CFD model, yep. we can then uh, chuck in, you know, bigger models, uh, bigger tanks uh, with uh, the exact same characteristics of the smaller scale uh, bioreactor or um, uh, whatever cell culture device we're using, and then um, add in the values that we talked about earlier that, uh, uh, that we need uh, to match to scale up efficiently. And then um, see if uh, it's plausible uh, yep. to get to that scale, uh, essentially. Yeah. So super critical. Uh, and I'm I'm guessing models are a little bit cheaper than than large scale oh, yeah. bioreactor experiments. Oh yeah, yeah. Those costs can really add up <laughs> for sure. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah. CFD. If we do have you know uh, those. Uh, uh, capabilities, uh, then yeah, well worth um, digging into and uh, uh, looking at uh, uh, whether something is scalable before you know diving into something. Yeah. Okay. BJ, I had a question um, that probably I think a lot of people would be uh, interested in, particularly our, our, our listeners. Obviously, you know, you've got a great um, depth of experience, but still a lot of what we're doing is new and, and things that are being done for the first time. Do you have a framework around how you you tackle those challenges? You know, because there's no you know specific blueprint that you can refer to. You know, there's no previous work done or published in you know exactly what we're doing. So how how do you go about approaching you know all the challenges that that, that we throw at you? Yeah, I mean uh, that's where I think experience is really really important. Uh, like with experience, um, you can learn a lot from experience, and uh, that I think uh, is a starting point for me. But uh, you know, with a lack of experience, there's some literature out there that uh, does address what we're 
uh, attempting to do, um, particularly in sort of the cell and gene therapy um, mm. uh, field. So there is, um, you know, uh, a body of literature which we can tap into uh, to, to sort of uh, give us uh, indications of uh, what we need to, you know, try and be doing to achieve what we uh, actually want to do. Um, so, yeah, it's a combination of, I think, experience and uh, uh, whatever we can you know, get through the literature and obviously creativity. Um, I, like Jacob, um, our head of innovation is super creative. Um, we, we bounce off ideas from each other and everyone from Magic Valley, everyone mm. has their own ideas. and important. I'm sure I give you plenty of crazy ideas that you all just sort of shake <laughs> no, your head at. crazy, <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah, the craziest ideas could uh, come to light one day. And, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, well answered, Rich. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, so um, look, you talked a lot about scaling up. Um, where do you think, how big can we get? How big can Magic Valley get? Uh, what's, how's that going to affect? How do you think? This is just your opinion. I'm not asking you to, to state facts here. Um, how do you think this is going to affect what what's going on with traditional agriculture? How long is it going to take? To, mm -hmm. um, I think the impact is yeah potentially massive. You know, um, if we can, I think it is possible. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. But uh, uh, we we were you know looking at getting to the sort of tons and tons of uh, uh, liters slash grams. Uh, of uh, product to be able to uh, make a dent into the uh, meat industry, essentially. Um, so, you know, to, to get to that scale, um, it, it's going to take a lot of work. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it has a lot to do with scale up and uh, um, bioprocessing and optimization. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, in terms of, like real world impact, yeah, it, it could be massive. It could potentially, you know, replace the traditional meat industry, uh, you know, someday in the distant future. Uh, but for now, I mean, the goals would be to get a prototype product and get that, uh, you know, approved. Uh, and then, yeah, we'll be at a certain scale at that point, uh, which we can then build upon so we'll have a process locked in and then from there like that's that's what i was talking about the prototype stage so we yeah. have that prototype fixed in then you know we can invest potentially more into cfd work uh scalability studies and that's when we can really ramp up and uh within you know a few years uh we could potentially get to that sort of thousands of liters scale uh, and beyond um because you know realistically we're gonna have to move quickly and uh, get to more so, you know, the tens of thousands and then potentially hundreds of thousands of leaders mm. uh, quite quickly. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it all has to do with, um, yeah, it, like it's an um, iterative process. So, mm. you know, yeah. bit by bit, um, you can't just expect to chuck cells into a 20,000 liter <laughs> stir tank reactor and say grow. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, it, it takes a lot of uh, hard work, dedication uh, to sort of get to that, that scales and to be able to produce. What, what are some of the other hurdles? I mean, obviously hard work, dedication. I mean, yeah. 
just off the top of my head, the, the capital infrastructure for large scale is, is so investment is absolutely critical. And yeah. Whether that comes um, directly to a company or comes from a, a government for, as, as some sort of infrastructure that's available to multiple companies. I mean, is, is that the yeah. sort of thing that, that, that Magic Valley is looking at? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So facilities is one of the uh, key aspects. So uh, being able to acquire the, the appropriate facilities to house whatever bioreactors uh, that we uh, uh, intend on um, uh, acquiring. Um, and uh, uh, obviously, you know, there's footprint involved, um, carbon emissions, that sort of stuff, um, energy consumption, waste, uh, 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 production, uh, water consumption, uh, particularly when we get to the, the very, very large tens of thousands of liters of scale with media production, um, we're more than likely going to be, you know, making media in-house um, with just powdered product of custom-made media, completely serum-free. Now we're already serum-free, so we're, you know, already a step a, a step ahead. Um, but uh, yeah, media costs, driving down the media costs is one of the other key uh, factors that uh, I think uh, we definitely uh, need to focus on. Um, and uh, like you said, infrastructure, um, important to have the right uh, type of infrastructure and funding. <laughs> Obviously, uh, we need a lot, yeah, a lot more funding to be able to uh, get past these hurdles. Yeah, no, that, that all. All rings very true to me, PJ. Yeah. Vijay, I want to ask you just a, a slightly um, uh, off track there from from what you were just talking about, but just your experience across obviously three different uh, countries uh, in terms of you know the UK, the US, Australia. I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about. I guess the differences in work environment. I know a lot has also changed in that in that time in terms of the overall industry as well, but. You know, what's a work environment like in those different countries? Obviously, there's, you know, there's a, uh, you know, at least a handful of companies in, in the UK and, and, and Europe in general in the, the cultivated meat space. I, I know there's a lot of companies in uh, in the Bay Area in terms of, of cultivated meat and, you know, we've got obviously a lot, of, a lot less here in Australia. So I'm just wondering, yeah, you could talk a little bit about the different, you know, I guess, the work environments and work cultures, you know, the availability of um, lab space and equipment, which I know is very different across the countries, mm-hmm. uh, maybe even... You know the regulatory environment. I know, um, you know, Europe is, is 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 a lot more strict in terms of you know novel foods compared to you know here and in the US, uh, and even just um, you know the number of you know competitors in the space, but also potential collaborators. I guess you know and what what the, what that's like and how that sort of changed over the past few years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess I'll start with the UK. So the UK, when I started out, there weren't many uh, cultivated meat companies at the time, but uh, they've grown so that there are a number of startups that are popping up. So a lot of them are um, spin-offs uh, from universities mm. as well. Um, so a lot of people are starting to get into the industry uh, as funding becomes more readily available. So there, there is funding, especially um, you know, uh, within Europe. So that they, they have their own funding bodies um, and government funding um, agencies as well that uh, uh, help with uh, acquiring um, bits of equipment mm-hmm. and uh, um, factories and that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, Europe was, um, you know, quite good in that sense, um, funding-wise. Uh, the working environment was, you know, uh, pretty demanding. Um, 
uh, with uh, the the amount of work uh, that uh, generally needed to be uh, done to secure that type of uh, funding because mm. everybody you know wants a mm. bit of that. So mm. it's uh, uh, and similarly that, that that's that's how it was in Silicon Valley. Uh, yeah. So in Silicon Valley, you know, there's a lot of funding, uh, probably more than uh, in Europe. Um, but uh, yeah, that, there are you know so many more <laughs> cultivated meat industries and they just keep popping up everywhere uh, you know uh, looking at different types of meat but all you know uh, trying to get the same type of uh, uh, fundraising um, so uh, yeah again very demanding uh, work environment as a result um, but uh, yeah uh, now that you know in the US there are, there are products that are starting to you know Go past FDA, uh, USDA. Uh, I think um, there's going to be, you know, an, a greater inflow uh, of uh, uh, funds, and uh, I think the industry is going to uh, really solidify more in the states. And then uh, I think that, uh, like that, uh, that that would help other industries, mm. uh, like overseas in the UK. And in Australia, to sort of cement uh, uh, the role of cultivated meat uh, globally. Um, well, the US is a huge market, isn't it? And a lot of other countries, particularly with regulatory things and and, and other things, follow the US. Whether it's you know even culturally, I guess as 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 well. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. One other question, uh, 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 maybe the listeners don't know this, but um, you know, as a, as a founder. Um, I talk to a lot of other founders uh, within within the industry. I, I think a lot of people think that we all, you know, we're competitors and we hate each other. That's that's not the case at all. We actually mostly all talk to each other. So, just from your perspective, you know, do you talk to other bioprocess engineers? Like, what's the environment there? Do you get to talk to people within the industry, or perhaps maybe you talk more to people you know, outside of the industry, or you know, previous previous people you've worked with? Yeah, yeah. Well, there were you know opportunities for collaborations, um, especially in the US. Um, uh, we talked because uh, uh, we were looking at you know microcarriers and uh, other substrates to grow cells on. So there are a lot of opportunities there to uh, sort of uh, interact with other engineers mm. slash scientists as well. So uh, yeah, we we'd always uh, you know uh, be open to uh, having conversations with them to you know help each other out uh, because you know uh, because the industry is still young um, and I think it's it's pretty important that uh, you know people in uh, the same sort of field uh, help out each other as much as we can um, so yeah definitely um, th- there are other companies that you know we outsource um, certain tasks to and uh, there'd be uh, a team of bioprocess engineers and uh, scientists there as well that we'd interact with who are taking on board similar projects from uh, other cultivated meat uh, uh, companies so uh, you know, the, they use that experience from other projects as well to help, uh, you know, other companies. So yeah. there's there's a lot of crosstalk there as well, um, especially in the States. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it's really great insight because I think, you know, the view from outside is, you know, it's so cutthroat and everyone's protective of their IP, which, you know, everyone is to, to an extent, but there's so many mission-driven and people involved in this industry and there's so much... You know, collaboration or unofficial collaboration or help or goodwill within the industry that, you know, I think it would surprise most people, to be honest. Yeah, I, I think it's really great. Yeah, that's a really good point.
Look, we're potentially running out of time here. We, we, um, VJ, I, I, you're a natural at this. Um, have you had some previous on-screen TV experience maybe? A little bit, oh, told me something about you know? this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, a long time ago actually, uh, I was on <clears throat> a TV show called Totally Wild uh, back here in Australia. So during my primary school years, uh, quite <laughs> some time ago, um, You've dug that one out of the archives, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, that that was you know um, my first ever like on set sort of uh, environment, and it was uh, uh, basically it was a science science related yeah. show, so uh, which was nice. Um, I think the episode it was for a single episode, but the episode itself was related to something to do with genetics from memory. Um, mm. I still have like the VHS cassette <laughs> tape somewhere back in my parents' place, uh, which I could probably dig out at some point. But yeah, it was something related to genetics and uh, um, myself being an identical twin. They were particularly interested in getting us on the show to uh, do some tastings. It was actually to taste um, something rather um, and uh, yeah, point out differences to see you know if there's a difference between identical twins. Wow. Um, so yeah, that was an episode and that was good fun so so days when um uh, uh, you come to work or you don't feel like coming to work you send your brother is that right <laughs> i wish i could <laughs> well if you have we haven't we definitely haven't noticed <laughs> keep an eye out for that now yeah. uh, you won't be able to tell trust me <laughs> <laughs> what, did you, what did you probably do just out of Curiosity, is so, he an engineer as well? Yeah, so he did the exact same course I did oh, wow. engineering at the same uni. Um, and then <laughs> he did some training uh, while he tried to pursue his PhD in chemistry. Um, so he has a fair bit of knowledge, like overlapping knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, that's amazing. Yeah. Oh, I think that's a really that, that's a great story to end on. Um, thanks so much for 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 joining us today, VJ. Uh, if anyone has any more questions about bioreactors or about what we do at Magic Valley, please feel free to contact us via our website www.magicvalley.com.au or um, listen to these podcasts. They're on YouTube. They're on uh, Spotify, um, Apple Podcast app, and we also have LinkedIn, Twitter. Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok, so you can you can um, really follow what what's going on at Magic Valley. And um, yeah, that's it for the Magic Hour today. Thanks so much, VJ. Thanks, Paul. Great to have you back. And um, yeah, um, looking forward to the next episode. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, VJ. I'm off to uh, get a VCR player so we can uh, check out that tape. <laughs> awesome. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. <laughs>